I wonder how many of us came tonight hoping to receive some mercy. I know I did. Thank you for that. In 1944, on a sunny day in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a man, 35-year-old man named Edwin Land was walking through this town with his three-year-old daughter, Jennifer. And he was taking pictures of the city, and he took a picture of her, and she said, I want to see it, I want to see it. And he said, honey, you, you can't see the picture right away. And she said, why, why can't I see the picture right now? And that question changed Edwin's life and history. Because a year from that point, he created the first Polaroid camera. All because his three-year-old daughter was willing to ask a question. We don't necessarily like asking tough questions. In fact, the New York Times tells us that children love to ask questions, but that their ability to ask questions peaks at age four. Because guess what happens after age four? They go to school. And in school, the teachers want us to know the answers. And so as time goes on, this ability for us to ask questions, we kind of get numb to it. And this article in New York Times said, by the time we're in the workplace, many of us have gotten out of the habit of asking fundamental questions about what's going on around us. So how are you doing at asking questions about what is going on around you? Our children and youth, they began our worship service asking questions about why we call this Lent? Why Ash Wednesday? And, and I wonder if you've even reflected on that before you came in. Lent is, is just called Lent because Lent means spring from some old Anglo-Saxon word. Lent is this time of the year that is a gift from God, from the church to all of us that creates this space where we want to ask questions where our goal is to, to ask questions, and not just for the purpose of asking them, but for the purpose of that in that search, maybe each of us might dive deeper into our relationship with Jesus. Jesus loved to ask questions. In the Gospel of Mark, which we have been going through since January, Jesus asks questions. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? He asks, who are my mother and brothers? And then very often he asks, do you still not understand? Our text today from the eighth chapter of Mark, Jesus asks his disciples two questions. Let's turn to the gospel of Mark and, and read from starting at verse 27. But before we read the scripture, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, in this holy space, we ask for your spirit that is within us to illumine whatever truth you desire for us to hear tonight, but that it would be your truth. Nothing from me, nothing from the New York Times, but it would be your truth, God. And that that truth would be so powerful that we wouldn't be able to leave the same. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Before this point in our scripture, Jesus has just cured a blind man at Bethsaida. The story where he, he spits into some dirt and puts it onto his eyes. He did that near, Bethsaida is a city near the Sea of Galilee. But see, Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles north. And this is as far north as Jesus is going to go away from Jerusalem. Because what happens at Caesarea Philippi is it's the pivot point for Jesus. From this point, he turns back. He turns towards Jerusalem. And making that pivot point means that he is pivoting towards conflict, towards obstacles, towards ridicule, and eventually suffering and death. And Mark wants to make sure that we know this is where this location is happening. This is where he's having this conversation. So why did Jesus ask in this moment, who do people say that I am? Is it like Jesus suddenly gets self-conscious and he wants to know, oh, I, I care about what people think about me. And so I'm kind of wanting to know how I'm doing. Like what's my cultural temperature right now? No. I think the reason Jesus asks this first question is because Jesus wants all of us and wanted those disciples to make sure that they had asked that question of themselves. You see, asking questions is a discipline of our faith. Asking questions is a way that we can then look into why we're doing the things that we're doing and what does it even mean. Jesus asks these questions because he wants disciples, his disciples to know why are they even following this person? Why are they walking with this person? It needs to be owned by the person that's doing it. And so they respond. The first name that they say is John the Baptist. Now, why would they say John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was, was kind of not your typical male Jew. He, he acted a little weird. You know, he dressed weird. He ate locusts and honey. But what he did that was so unique is that he preached this new message. So maybe they thought Jesus was like John the Baptist because he was preaching new messages. He was taking things that the Jews had said was this and, and he was transforming them into this. Maybe they thought Jesus was like John's doppelganger and that, and that he was just kind of like a body double for him. The next thing they say is they say, Elijah, that's who it, it must be Elijah. Now, why would they say Elijah? Well, they knew the story of Elijah that we know from the book of 2 Kings Elijah, this, this famous character in Israelite history, a prophet, is walking with his soon-to-be successor, Elisha, and then suddenly the scripture reads, chariots of fire and horses separate the two of them. And then suddenly, Elijah ascends into a whirlwind into heaven. And just like that, he's gone. So maybe people think, oh, he's back. That, that, faint, that person that we know is, is, is known for being so, so wonderful. And remember, Elijah did miracles too. He made things last longer. He multiplied food. Oh, that's who that must be. And then last, they say the prophets. Maybe that's, they're saying that you're the prophets. What did it mean that, that they called Jesus the prophets? Well, up to this point in Mark, so this is Mark 8, Jesus has quoted two Old Testament scriptures both of them from the prophet Isaiah. Literally, his words are prophetic. He's saying the things that the prophets used to say. But more than that, 
they know that the prophets were people that rubbed people the wrong way. And Jesus is rubbing people the wrong way. So maybe that's why he must be a prophet because they're the ones that came and stepped on toes and were willing to stand up to political authority and cultural authority. They answer this and then Jesus, he pushes them a little further. He says, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus isn't just concerned about what everybody else thinks. It's just not what people are talking about. But what do you think? Who am I to you? And then Peter says, you are the Messiah. And at that point, something changes. Jesus says, do not talk about this to anyone. Why does the fact that Peter uses that word Messiah suddenly seem to change Jesus' mood? So Messiah in the Greek, the actual Greek word in this scripture here is Christos. So you could translate it as Christ. But we, as in the English, we always translate where Christos is as Messiah. Both of them are titles. They're not like Jesus' last name. Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. It means the anointed one. In the Hebrew, whenever you see the anointed one in the Old Testament, it sounds a lot like Messiah. It's Messiah. And so that's where they get the Messiah from in the Greek. And, and the Messiah was the person that had been told for thousands of years was going to be the one that kind of came in and redeemed Israel. And, and they were going to overthrow the, the orders that were going on. And this was the Messiah. But when Jesus hears the Messiah, he knows better than anyone those prophecies about what the Messiah will have to do. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah. He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed by our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. You see, I think this is the moment that Jesus recalls what is about to come and it turns the mood of the gospel to a different tune. Jesus' question to his disciples has brought to the forefront of the story something new, something very real. This miracle worker, this authentic man, this person fully human and fully divine is gonna die. In the very next passage after this, this is what it reads. It says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, rejection, and be killed. These questions force both the one who asks the question, Jesus, and the ones who are answering to a deeper awareness of what is going on around them. It makes the characters of our Bible face their mortality, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so it begs the question for us. Who do you say that Jesus is? What does it mean for us to call Jesus the Messiah? Over the next 40 some days, we're gonna be walking this difficult journey with Christ. What would it look like for all of us to walk the journey to the cross with Jesus? A journey that we know for all of us requires us to the fact that like Jesus, we too will die. 
What would it be like? How would I live my life knowing that, that, that I am mortal? For us on this holy day we call Ash Wednesday, we need to ask a lot of questions of ourselves. What does it mean for the way I live my life knowing that death is part of this life? What does it mean for me to live each day to the fullest, to be grateful for each breath, to realize that I should be living this life for God's glory and not for my own? How easy is it to assume that I can get to that thing on another time because there will always be another opportunity? How often do I pass over serving someone or loving someone because it just doesn't seem convenient for me in that moment? I confess that there are many times I know I should reaching out, be reaching out to my aging in-laws, and I don't, because I find something else that, that seems to be more pressing. Today is the day where each of us carve out time to face our mortality. Stacy and I are going to put ashes on your foreheads. We're going to say, it is from dust you came, and it is to dust you shall return. This is not meant for us to feel like dirt. We're not supposed to leave here and hang our heads because we're all awful. No, we have a Lord who's given us mercy, Christ who's given us mercy. It is meant to remind us, these ashes are meant to remind us to cherish the life that we have. To live life to its fullest and we can do this because we know that even in death, there is life. We know that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have life eternal, even after death. I want you to know that at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, we want all of us to ask questions. And I know a lot of you have come from traditions where you weren't allowed to do that. We want you to ask questions. And our hope is that this Lent, all of us might ask questions of ourselves and doing so, we might take a deeper dive into our relationship with Jesus. Asking questions is part of the journey. So what are the questions that you have? I wanna know them. Email me, tell someone in your family, tell someone in one of your small groups, explore them in scripture. My prayer and hope this Lent is that we will journey to the cross together with all of those valleys and mountaintops that that will involve. May it be so in my life and in yours. Now let us come before God in this holy moment through the giving of God's tithes and our offerings.